I hope that you bring your Bibles with you when you come on Sunday mornings. Take them out if you got them. Turn to Matthew 13 with me. Kids, hope that you'll pay attention. I think the, the little card inside your bag has got some words. I hope to say those words. And if I do, you can circle them or maybe make some marks of how many times. I can tell you one word we're going to say is the kingdom. So if that's one, there's a freebie for you. We've been discussing this past month the parables of the kingdom, the, the stories that Jesus was talking to, to the crowd, but also some of them reserved for his disciples in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, to recap, the first week we asked ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, what is a parable? So if you weren't here, I'm going to clue you in on that. We said that simply a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning, okay? A parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. However, the meaning is not always immediately obvious, okay? But it's not just a story for story's sake. It does have a spiritual meaning. The second question we asked was, well, why parables? Why was Jesus speaking in these parables where the meaning wasn't clearly obvious? In fact, that's the question his disciples asked him. Remember, after he told the first parable, the parable of the sower, they, they took their chance and interrupted him and said, hey, you know, Jesus... Why are you speaking to these people in parables? Why not talk plainly and clearly? Tell them, you know, the good stuff. You know, make it clear to them. And so we said that two reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. Number one was he spoke in parables to reveal truth about the kingdom, showing God's mercy. You see, God had provided a way for certain people to hear and understand the message of the kingdom. He had opened their ears. He had softened their hearts. And by doing that, he was showing his mercy. Why? Because they didn't deserve it. Not one of us deserved the message of the kingdom. Correct? None of us are good enough. None of us are sinless enough or righteous enough. Yet God has allowed some of us and some of you here today who have a relationship with the Lord, he has at some point softened your heart and, and opened your ears to hear the message of the kingdom and understand it and receive it, showing God's mercy. The second reason that Jesus spoke in parables was to conceal truth about the kingdom, showing God's judgment. That in fact there are some people whose hearts are still hard. And there will come a day where there will be a final separation between those who have received the message of the kingdom and those who have rejected the message of the kingdom. And they will suffer eternal judgment because God, even though he is 100% merciful, he is also 100% somehow at the exact same time just. And he must punish sin. And so he spoke in parables to reveal truth about the kingdom, showing his mercy, but also to conceal truth about the kingdom, showing his judgment. I think it's important that we study these parables, that we understand these parables, that we believe these parables so that we will more faithfully live for Jesus and his kingdom. So we've said this a lot, this kingdom, and Jesus keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is like kingdom of heaven. We just sang a song about the kingdom and the king. So I would ask you this question today is what is the kingdom of heaven? And so here's what a little short uh, definition we'll come up with. I don't know if I put this on the slides or not, but the kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule or reign of God in Christ. The kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule or reign of God in Christ. Rule or reign because the authority and sovereignty of God as king is complete. He is the creator, like Dave just said in his prayer, of all the universe. And because of that, what he says goes. Okay, but redemptive rule or reign because he is choosing to assert 
that rule or reign through the redemption of sinners through Christ, the promised Messiah. So God isn't up there saying, I'm in charge, you must follow me. He's saying, I'm in charge, you can't follow me, so I'm going to make a way through Christ for you to do that. Does that make sense? So he is redeeming us. He's redeeming us. He purchases back the people he created, that the relationship had been broken. He's purchasing us back. He's making a way for that to happen. Jesus also talks about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10, he's, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. You remember they said Jesus teaches how to pray. And he said this. He said, pray then like this. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling them to pray that God would assert his redemptive rule or reign in his kingdom on earth. In heaven, when God says something, it happens. If he snaps his fingers, angels move, okay? Saints move. If he says nature and creation, do this, it happens. And Jesus is saying, pray that that kind of thing will happen here on earth as well. That God's rule and reign, his kingdom, his sovereignty would not just cover heaven, but even his, the earth would be full of his people. And his rule and reign would take place here on earth. Later in the same chapter, Jesus was telling them, he said in verse 33, but seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, these other things you're worried about will be added to you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Quit trying to get into the kingdom through your own righteousness. You'll never be good enough. You won't meet the standard. But seek God and his righteousness. Find the kingdom. And then all these little things that you're worried about will be added to you. Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about your basic needs, but rather seek and submit to the redemptive rule or reign of God in every part of their life. So the last three weeks we've looked at the parable of the sower the first week, and we found that the message of the kingdom would be spread widely all across the world. Some landing on soft hearts, some landing on hard hearts, but it would be spread widely. We talked about the kingdom uh, through, by looking at the wheat and the weeds. You remember that? Very scary parable showing that one day there will be a final separation between those who had rejected the kingdom, continued to rebel against the king, and those who have received the kingdom. And there will be a final separation. These to receive the kingdom to eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And those to final separation, eternal separation from God in hell. It's a scary, scary parable. Last week we talked about the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And how God's kingdom is something that starts out small but grows into something large. Something big enough that people can find safety and rest and peace in. And then like the leaven, it would permeate every part of the world. I mean, if you imagine all the believers, the billions of believers today even, worshiping together on Sunday morning, the kingdom is large today. But it would also permeate every part of the individual person involved in the kingdom, that God's kingdom, like leaven, should change every part of who I am. It should make me a different person. That's the Holy Spirit at work in my life. This week, Jesus is going to shift from talking about the eventual worldwide impact of his kingdom to talking about the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. I hope you've turned there by now. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, only three verses today. We're going to read the entire text, and then we'll take these one at a time, okay? Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. 
Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity even today to hear the message of the kingdom. Would we respond appropriately? Teach us the value of your kingdom, Father, how it is far greater than anything this world has to offer. Amen. This first parable, the parable of the hidden treasure, uh, we'll, we'll talk about these one at a time, even though they're basically almost exact same point, a little bit of difference in the two that I think we can find. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The first thing you need to know about a parable is that you have to understand the parable based on the time and the culture that it was told. Okay, so I understand most of you today do not have hidden treasure in your backyards that you have buried. Some of you from Sumter County may do that kind of stuff still, but I, that's country, isn't it? You find, okay, thank you, John, and then great to see you, by the way. I love, I love that you're here. So anyways, see, when you sit close, it's distracting me. Okay. This man, whoever he was, had hidden treasure in his field. They didn't have safety deposit boxes at the bank, okay? When they, when they built their home, they didn't buy this giant, very heavy safe, you know, and put all their valuables and their money and things like that in it. Instead, they would just go out back, find a place in the field, bury it, and, and hide it so that no one would know about it. The problem with that is when you hide buried treasure, who do you tell about it? Nobody. So oftentimes, people would die, and no one knew there was hidden treasure in their field. Or maybe they sold that field and they had forgotten that they had hidden the treasure. Now someone else owns the field and they own the treasure. They may not even know they own the treasure. This man was at work in the field. You see, part of the culture back then, it was a, a finder's keeper's culture. So if you came upon treasure like this, basically it was yours. The exception was if an employee of someone found that, the employer could say, oh, no, he was working on my behalf. That's mine now. And he could take it. And this man who finds this treasure, he knew that. And he knew the only way he could have complete rightful claim to this treasure was what? To own the whole field. So it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. The word here is to actually cover up again. So this is my speculation, but this man is out working the field for his employer. And over time, for whatever reason, uh, erosion, there is part of this treasure is visible. This man sees it, knows it's a lot of treasure. He actually digs the hole deeper, buries it again, and covers it up, okay? Because he didn't want anybody else to know that he had found it. Maybe he marked it somehow so he wouldn't forget where it was. I don't know how you mark, you know, put a mark X on the ground or something. But he, he hid it again, and then he went. It says he went away in his joy. I want to tell you, the treasure he found, this is like winning the lottery happening to see the treasure that was supposed to be hidden in the first place. He wasn't searching for it. And then it being worth so much more than the field itself, he sold everything he had and bought the entire field. This guy bought a $1 lottery ticket and won $400 million, okay, like the people on the news, okay? It was, it was very, very lucky, okay? What he found was worth way more than what he gave up to get it, okay? In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. He knew that what he had found 
was worth more than everything else he had acquired to that point. Now, I don't know what kind of man this was, if he was a rich man or a poor man. He was the kind of man that still needed to work in the field, as far as I'm concerned. So maybe he wasn't a millionaire in our day's time, okay? And so he knew no matter what he had, it was worth giving it up for to own this field, not for the field's sake, but for what? For the treasure. The Apostle Paul, he knew this about the kingdom of God too. He knew that knowing God, knowing Jesus, and being part of the kingdom was worth more than anything else he could ever acquire. And in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, Paul says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, there's no mention of Paul in the New Testament selling everything he had and living in poverty or anything like that. In fact, in this same letter to the Philippians, he told them he had learned to live with little or with a lot. He had learned to be poor. He had learned to be rich. He was happy either way. The secret was knowing that he could trust in Jesus to accomplish anything he wanted to do. We, knew, we know that Paul was a tent maker, so he worked and made money. Okay, the thing is, he considered anything he did have worth absolutely nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus. So when he did look around and see what he had, it was like he had nothing because it was rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Does that make sense? It's okay if you've got some stuff. The problem is when you think that that stuff is somehow worth more valuable things than the kingdom of Jesus. This man in the, in the parable, like I said earlier, he was a lucky guy. He wasn't even searching for this treasure. And yet he came upon it, and it was uncovered a little bit, and he realized how valuable it was, how much worth it had. He, it seems that he knew right away. He, he didn't have to sit down and calculate how much it was. He knew, this is worth more than anything I got. I'm going to cover it up and immediately go and sell all that I have so that I can acquire this treasure. You may not have come in here today searching for the kingdom of God. You may have been drugged into this room. I don't know. I don't know why you're here. You may have come for all kinds of reasons. Someone invited you or you like being here today, but you've not been searching for the kingdom of heaven. But just in case it isn't clear, I would like to uncover a little bit of it for you so that you can see how valuable it is. You see, there is a God. And he's the creator of all the universe. But we, every human that's ever lived, has chosen to rebel against him, and that's called sin. We've chosen not to follow his ways, his commands, his laws, his statutes. And because of that, our relationship with him was broken. He wanted to be right and perfect. We chose to live for ourselves instead. But that same God who we sinned against made a way for our relationship to be made right again with him. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross his sacrifice and blood that he shed covered our sin and gives us a chance for forgiveness. All we have to do is receive that act as our substitute, him taking our place on the cross, and we can have eternal life with God forever. That's the treasure. And now I've uncovered it for you. The thing is, look at verse 44. In his joy, he goes and sells. I want you to circle the world, goes and sells. You see, the man found the treasure, but there was still something else he had to do. He didn't just get to acquire it. 
He had to immediately make the decision to go. Some of you have come, and now I just gave you the message of the kingdom, the very short part of the gospel. That's all you need to know. But now you have to do something about it. See, this man knew that the kingdom was worth so much more than anything he had to this point that he was willing to lay down everything else to pick up this new life of the kingdom. Some of you have been waiting to do that. You like the idea of the kingdom. You like the idea of eternal life and the idea of living for Jesus and the things and the blessings that come along with that, but you're not yet willing to lay down your old life to pick up the new life of the kingdom. I wonder if today might be the day you're willing to do that. Look at verse 45. Jesus continues. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is almost the exact same story. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says on finding it, he went and sold or goes and sells in the first one all that he had, all that he had and buys the field and this time he bought the pearl. Almost exactly. One of the biggest differences to me is when you say he's a merchant in search of. This guy was actually seeking out the pearls. I don't know if he was some sort of a dealer in fine pearls. It says he's looking for fine pearls, not just normal pearls. Okay, this guy probably travels a lot. He's probably seen a lot of treasure in his lifetime. Probably buys things and then sells them at a profit if he's good at what he does. And, And he was in search of fine pearls. He was going around and he found one. And man, he knew right away. That pearl is greater than anything I've ever seen. In fact, all the treasure and things that I've bought in my lifetime that I've kept and acquired, they're not even worth the price of this one pearl. So he went, again, you can circle the word uh, went and sold, because he also had to make the action. Okay, He could have saw the pearl and go, man, that pearl's beautiful. I'd love to have that pearl. But all the things that I've found in my life and have acquired and I've kept in my closet or my storage unit back home or whatever, you don't really want to part with all of that for this one pearl. And he could have said, what a beautiful pearl, and walked away. Some of us have done that when we have come face to face with the kingdom in Jesus. We said, that looks really nice. That looks really beautiful. I love the idea of having forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff I've acquired. I've kept some things. I've got relationships. I've got success. I've got money. I've got power. I've got popularity. I've got a lot of things. And, and what you're telling me is I might have to give up those things to pick up the new life that Christ wants to give me, and I'm not quite sure that I'm ready to do that. What I want you to hear today is the value of the kingdom is so much more than anything you could have acquired to this point on earth that you ought to lay it down. You know, they say that Americans... Um, we, our families are smaller than they were in the 1950s, but our houses are bigger, and we have storage units to keep all the stuff that we don't want to get rid of, even though we've not been to our storage unit in four years. We obviously don't need that stuff, but we want to hold on to our stuff. That's who we are. That's our culture. And we want to hold on to our old lives when we're presented with a possible new life in Christ. Maybe we don't want to begin living the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is nothing compared to the reward of eternal life in heaven and the kingdom. Jesus tried to explain this to them in Matthew chapter 6. Also, in verse 19, he said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that it was going to be an issue for us on earth to keep treasures. Not, earth, not heavenly treasures, but earthly treasures. The things, uh, the Bible says that the devil, kind of the prince of this world, he makes things look really appealing. Makes us want to have things, material things, relationships, success. We want, we want people to think highly of us. And those kinds of things are more important to us than being part of the kingdom because we're not willing to give them up. Some of us, we offer token affection. We show up on Sunday mornings. We may even have a Bible. We may even be part of one of those email devotionals every once in a while. They show up and you read a verse, okay? But when it comes down to it, when you wake up in the morning, the treasure of your heart is not Christ and his kingdom. It's yourself. And it's the throne you've built for yourself in this life here on earth. You're missing it. You're not quite there. You're close, but it's just token affection. The disciples asked Jesus one time about what they would get out of this because they said, you know, Jesus, we're giving up a lot to follow you. We're not very popular. People want you to die. Uh, they're probably not far behind to saying, let's kill all the disciples that run around with them. We've left our families. We've left our businesses. This is what Jesus told them. He said, listen, Matthew 19, verse 29 said, this is a verse that I have underlined it's important to me to remember um, why I would give up certain things, why I would give up home, why would I give up family, why I would give up finances or whatever it is to follow the Lord. Because it, it wouldn't matter. Because look at what Jesus said. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. He doesn't say on this earth I'm going to make you a millionaire if you leave your home and go build a church or you leave your home and become a missionary somewhere in Uganda. He doesn't say, oh, life is going to be easy. My friend Jeremy Talaferro, you know, many of you know him. He was here a couple of Decembers ago. And he followed Jesus to, to the mission field in Peru. And one of the first weeks he was there, he fell off a rock climbing wall doing training, and he's paralyzed. <laughs> I mean, he has to walk with a cane now for the rest of his life. It was like the first week. Like, I just said yes, Jesus, and now I'm walking on a cane, and I'm a young man. What's up with that? No. Oh, don't worry, because you will receive a hundredfold, Jeremy, and you will inherit eternal life. What I am offering you in the future is worth substantially more than you can even imagine here on earth. Here's what I want you to hear today. This is the main point. Kids, write this down. And if your parents aren't writing, nudge them. Tell them to write it down. The kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. The kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. Everything. It's really hard to imagine. You know, over the past week, I've been asking Braxton and Ainsley, you know, what, what do you value? I asked Braxton, I said, man, what is it that you would want that you would sell everything you've got to get? He starts trying to think of all the things he has, okay, that are actually his, you know. He's got a Michael Jordan jersey autograph, okay? If you know that, that's a lot of money. It was a gift of mine. Somehow it's in his room. Um, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a Derek Jeter autographed baseball. That's a, that's a good one. He's got a PlayStation. He's got clothes. Now, if you know Braxton, he likes shoes. He spends a lot of his money on shoes. He's got, he goes, nothing. He goes, that stuff's worth like 
two or three thousand dollars. There's nothing I want for that. And I'm like, well, okay. So I'm asking the wrong person. But <laughs> there are things we can imagine as adults, especially, that we would like to have. Maybe it's a certain number in your IRA. Okay, maybe it's a certain size of home or living in a certain neighborhood. Or maybe it's that second home one day when you've made it to the point where you can actually have two homes. Okay, or maybe it's that certain style of car. Maybe it's a specific relationship you'd like to have. But let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything for. Even if it meant you couldn't have any of your earthly dreams. Even if it meant you couldn't have any of them. Even if it meant laying down all that you've got and walking away from it immediately, not getting even to sell it so that you could have some money in your pocket, walking away from it the way the disciples left their, their nets and their boats and their businesses and their fathers and mothers. It would be worth that. And here's the second part. And because of its worth, we joyfully let go of all things in order to passionately take hold of one thing. Being part of the kingdom is being single-minded, okay? A lot of times we like to say, well, Jesus is first. You know, I, I write this check or um, I read the verse of the day or whatever it is. Jesus said, no, when you follow me, you pick up the cross and follow me. I wonder oftentimes after his death, the disciples watched him die on the cross and after his resurrection and then he ascended back to heaven. And I wonder if they remember back to that to him saying that. No, if you want to follow me, you pick up your cross. He had already set the example for them. I wonder if that's one of the things that spurred them on to start the church. They were reminded, hey, 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 when things get hard, don't forget what Jesus did, okay? He picked up his cross. He told us we got to do that same thing. Some of you have been searching like this guy, the guy that found the pearl of great value. He was, he was a merchant in search of fine pearls. And some of you have been searching You've been searching for something that, to fill that God-shaped space in your heart. You've been searching for something that will make you happy or something that will make you feel fulfilled or whatever it is. The problem is you've been searching in the wrong places. You've been searching in the wrong places. Sometimes we search for those things in relationships. A relationship ends and we've got to immediately start another one because we think that's what's going to bring us happiness. Some of you are searching for that in success. You've got this checklist. If I reach this part, then this part, then this part, then I'll be considered successful. I have good people thinking good things about me, and that's what makes me feel good. The thing is, and you know this, if those are the places you've been seeking, they all just leave you wanting more, don't they? They never fulfill. They never satisfy. And then others, you have found the kingdom. You've gotten this close, this close, but you've not laid down your old life to pick up the new life Christ has for you. You, you, you've maybe even had some experiences with Jesus. You've seen him do some neat things. Maybe he's even allowed you to be in on some of that stuff. But you've not been yet willing to lay down your old life to pick up the new life of the kingdom. Don't forget the words that these guys had to do. They had to go and sell. They had to go get rid of all that they had. There, there was a young guy that once came to Jesus. He was like that. He was really close. The Bible says that he said, Jesus, I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to be part. I'm following all the rules. I'm doing all these things, and I'm, I'm obeying all the laws, and I'm doing the right things at the right time, but I, I, I can tell I'm not quite there yet. I need to know, what else do I got to do? The Bible says this man was young and rich. The Bible even describes him as a young, rich ruler. So this guy was successful. To this point, the things he had done on earth had gotten him to a certain point. He was a cool guy. 
successful with lots of finances in his back pocket. The Bible says that Jesus looked at this man and he knew his heart. He knew his heart. And he said to the man, he said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of the kingdom, go and sell all that you got, give it away to the poor, don't keep anything, and then come and follow me. The Bible says the young man walked away very sad that day because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus knew where his heart was. The treasure of his heart was in his stuff. And as bad as he wanted Jesus, he liked the idea of it. He wanted the kingdom, and he was really close. He was willing to follow these rules and these rules, but he wasn't willing to give up everything that he thought was important to him in order to follow Jesus. And that kept him out of the kingdom. There's no other, there's no other mention in the Bible about this young guy. There's no other mention of him coming back to Jesus and going, you know what, I thought about it, and now I'm ready. I sold everything, and, and I gave all the money away, and here I am. That never happens. That conversation never happens as far as we know. And this guy was close. He was right there. It's closer than maybe some of us in this room were. But he wasn't willing to give up everything he had. I love the, the, the words of an old hymn. It says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. You know that song? I'd rather, have, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Jesus knew that the kingdom was worth giving up everything for. He went to the cross, and man, he was beaten almost to death, but then just to make sure they went ahead and crucified him anyway to humiliate him in front of everyone to make a point. Today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You might call it communion. We've got tables down here in the front. We've got tables in the balcony. And so I want to kind of explain to you what that means, okay? The Lord's Supper, or communion, is set in place by Jesus to remind us of what he did in our place. We're going to take a little piece of bread, and that little piece of bread is to remind us of Jesus' flesh, his skin, his body, that was beaten, that had thorns crushed into his head, nails put in his hands and his feet, his skin ripped from his body. The Bible says he was unrecognizable. And when we eat this piece of bread, it's to remind us that he went through that so that we wouldn't have to. And then we're going to take this little cup of juice. It is to remind us of the blood. In the book of Leviticus, we learn that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. None. Someone had to shed blood. In the Old Testament, they would have to sacrifice a lamb or, or a ram, and they would have to do that every single year. Why? Because after they got their sins forgiven, immediately they left the place they sinned again. Jesus came, the book of Hebrews says, to be a sacrifice once and for all, for all sins, past, present, and future. That when he died, when his blood was shed, because he was perfect and sinless, completely righteous, that that blood was good enough to cover all of our sins. And when we drink this little cup of juice, we're to be reminded that he did that so we wouldn't have to. So over the next few minutes, however long it takes, I would ask you that this room would be a room of, of quiet and reverence. This is an act of worship. You can, uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to play some soft music. You can pray there as a family. If you're a single person, you can pray as a single person. You've got friends, gather families together, whatever, pray. The Bible says that we ought to check our hearts before we, before we partake in communion. The Bible says that this is for people that are already part of the kingdom. 
If today you're not part of the kingdom, if even no matter how close you've gotten, if you're not ready to make that final step over, then you're, ha- you're welcome to sit and watch and experience this, maybe to pray. Maybe today is the day where you make that final step and come celebrate by taking your first communion right now. Dads, granddads, whoever is in charge, man, if you want, and come up here with your families, get in line. You can go back to your seats. You can come up on the stage, steps, wherever you can find a good place. Lead your families through this. Pray. Take the bread. Remember Christ's body. Take the drink. Remember Christ's blood. And then I would ask that if it's okay, even when you're done, if we can stay quiet and reverent for those that are still worshiping through the Lord's Supper, and then you can just head out. Is that okay? Can we do that? The kingdom is worth losing everything for. Jesus set the example by doing it for us. Make that decision today if you've not. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done. Father, you are the king of all. You are the king of the kingdom. You are ruler reigning over all. And you have allowed us to have the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom if we would just make the decision to go and sell to go and get rid of, to lay down our old self and pick up the new life that you have designed for us in Christ. Father, as we, as we move about and we begin to worship you through the taking of communion, would you remind us, put it on our hearts, pierce our hearts, the things that Jesus went through in our place, that sacrifice, that substitute, doing something for us that, that we could not do on our own giving us the opportunity to be made right again, to move from being weed to wheat, that we would one day have eternal life with you in heaven. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We love you, Lord, and we love your word, and we thank you for it. Father, would you move in our hearts now as we worship you through this communion. In Jesus' name, amen.